This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, and a very happy birthday to my colleague, Brian Medore, who is going to be enjoying the uh, Growlers game tonight. All the best to you, of course. Well, earlier this week, the Health Standards Organization released new updated standards for long-term care homes. The aim is to provide residents of long-term care facilities with the best quality of care possible, and conversations are already underway between the federal and provincial governments about improvements. But some questions have already been raised. Ottawa has already indicated that the standards will not be mandated across the country and some advocates say the standards are useless unless there's enforcement or accountability behind them while others like the Ontario government has indicated that it has no interest in watering down what it considers to be its already high standards well a number of concerns have been raised about long-term and personal care homes in this province and seniors advocate Susan Welsh has repeated the call for an immediate review of the province's personal and long-term care homes, a recommendation first made by her predecessor back in 2019. Seniors advocate Susan Walsh is fresh from a trip to Ottawa where she met with her counterparts from British Columbia and New Brunswick and she joins me now. Hello. Hello Linda, how are you? Great, so how was the trip? It was so productive. It was tiring. <laughs> well, we spent two days of day, two nights uh, meetings and discussions but it was so valuable time spent. So what was it all about? What was the purpose? So I guess it was a dual purpose, really. It was the first opportunity for the uh, three seniors advocates in the country to meet. Um, so um, the BC seniors advocate and the New Brunswick seniors advocate and myself uh, really wanted an opportunity to meet face-to-face to discuss our experiences, our knowledge, share with each other, you know, learn from each other. And so some really good discussions from that perspective, but as well then to reach out to some of the national organizations, groups, and and uh, government organizations and members to really share our knowledge, expertise, and what we're hearing from our seniors um, to help influence or inform at any rate, uh, you know, some of the critical decisions they're making that will have impact in our province and every province ultimately. Only three senior provincial seniors advocates in the country? That's shocking to me. It's interesting, isn't it? So Alberta did have one and lost it uh, with some uh, organizational changes they made a few years ago. Now, I am understanding and hearing that uh, a number of provinces are underway uh, to develop uh, seniors advocates in their provinces, a lot of the western provinces for sure. And what I'll say to you about that is um, it's not too, too surprising to me in that you know, the provinces who have the highest rate of seniors and aging seniors are the ones that are seeing the need for this the most. And so you know, when you consider our population, our, our population of seniors in this province is the highest in, in the country per, you know, per capita, um, then that tells you the importance of having this role. And um, 
we know that uh, you know 47% of this province is is uh, 50 plus and that's only going to continue to grow and so i think as provinces move more and more in that direction you'll see that happening i think too there's a real misconception between the role of an advocate and an ombudsman or someone like an independent uh, 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 you know citizens rep type role i mean these these roles the ombudsman in in some provinces um you know, certainly we'll look at matters individual to a senior, but they are, they have to stay impartial. They are impartial, um, you know, uh, roles. So they can't advocate. They don't do advocacy. And whereas my office advocates, we actually do the advocacy on behalf of seniors. That's the whole point of going to the federal uh, role, you know, uh, nationally uh, this week and, and putting out there what we would like to see for our seniors. So I think the more understanding there is in the difference between um, an ombudsman and their role, which is an important role, certainly, uh, from a, you know, looking at a complaint of a person and investigating it, uh, but staying impartial to what they believe. If they see there's a hole in the system that isn't filled, it's not really their job to take it on from an from a advocacy perspective. It is mine. It seems to me, though, that uh, whether you have uh, 50% of your population, which we're nearing now, 50-plus, or if you only have 10% of your population who are 50-plus, which I don't think exists, but you know what I'm saying, yeah. uh, that's still a sizable portion of the province. It's it's surprising to me, um, firstly, I suppose, that uh, there aren't other seniors advocates in, in the country other than BC and, and Newfoundland and Labrador and New Brunswick, and also that we appear to be pretty progressive in that area. Fair enough. Uh, I agree with your comment. But, you know, we are progressive in that area. And it's interesting, you know, we're a province that has been progressive in numerous areas. Um, When you come to look at some of the work we've done around Accessibility, for example. I mean, there's there's so many examples out there, and I I have to give you know credit to the government on that that they recognize the importance of a seniors advocate, you know, put it in place uh, back in 2017, 18, and I mean even most recently when uh, my predecessor retired, you know, and they had another look at the office and and what they wanted to do with it, and they filled the position again, which means to say they really saw the importance of the position and 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 the role of this office, and so you know I, I certainly give them credit. I know in New Brunswick, they did a review trying to determine uh, how they could reorganize. And, and they did actually, for a short period, put their seniors advocate, or sorry, their advocate with um, with their ombudsman. And they quickly realized that didn't work, that the roles are so different that, the, that it didn't work. And they took it back out again very quickly. I want to talk to you a little bit about what was on the agenda and uh, what you learned uh, when we come back after the break. I'm just checking to see David's there. Yes. Um, Right after this, our guest today on On Target is Seniors Advocate Susan Walsh. We'll be back right after this. Thank you. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is seniors advocate Susan Walsh, uh, just back from a trip to Ottawa where she met with um, her counterparts from B.C. and New Brunswick. So what was on the agenda there? So we had uh, a very full agenda, and I have to say I certainly appreciated the opportunity to to do this. Um, So we met with the um, Canadian 
um, Institute for Health Information, CHI-HI, um, to talk about the data they have available and uh, do some cross-comparisons of our provinces with other provinces uh, on certain health outcomes. And I have to say, valuable for me because as we, as you know, Linda, I talked about this the last time I was on your show, you know, we just uh, finished a full engagement process with seniors, a survey that saw over a thousand seniors reply, which is unheard of. I mean, it's it's remarkable. Even my counterparts in, in much larger provinces than me, populations, you know, wise, um, certainly were shocked you know, with, with the response rate. And I have to throw a huge bouquet out to all the seniors in this province who took the time, because I know it was a lengthy survey. It wasn't short. And so using now um, the knowledge I've learned from uh, the information that CHI-HI collects and has publicly available, um, and being able to do some comparators with some of the data we've collected will help in our analysis over the coming you know month or so um, before we put out uh, you know our report on on this matter and help inform any recommendations our office may make. And I will say that. We're a very lucky province in that we have the Newfoundland Labrador Center for Health Information, which, you know, is almost, you know, it's very, I'm not an expert in this, but it's very comparable to some of the work that CHI-HI is doing or certainly may feed into it. I, you know, I can't, can't speak to it except to say we're one of the few provinces who have that resource. So I see that as a, as a really important resource to my office as we move forward. So that was one meeting, and I found that very helpful. The second meeting, which probably ties in a little closer to what you, um, you know, what you talked about in your introduction uh, was with Accreditation Canada. So Accreditation Canada um, accredits many long-term care facilities. So we know we have the long-term care national standards that have now recently been released. These standards are an update to previous standards. Previous standards, I think, were 2020. And so um, the importance of meeting with Accreditation Canada was to to determine, are they going to adopt these national standards? Because if they are, and we've confirmed they are, then any province that uses Accreditation Canada to accredit their long-term care facilities will automatically, as my understanding um, from Accreditation Canada, will automatically now adhere to these standards. And it is my understanding, this is good news for our province, it's my understanding that the long-term care homes in Newfoundland and Labrador do all get accredited. And they all get accredited through Accreditation Canada. So by virtue of that, we will, in this province, see these new standards uh, implemented. So what do some of those new standards look like? Uh, Are they vastly different from previous standards? Uh, um, Some of it's tweaking, but some of it is new. And so, you know, I think obviously these came out um, while I was basically in flight to Ottawa. So I haven't had the opportunity to really dig deeply into them. But what, but what I can say to you is they are an improvement on the previous. And some, of it's t- some of it is tweaking, but some of it is new. And so some of the areas that I think are of interest uh, or should be of interest um, to us is the whole business of recognition of risk is one fairly new area in, the, in these standards. So the ability for seniors and their families um, to be able to choose to make decisions that some of us may think places them at risk. And truthfully, um, that's the whole premise of our society, isn't it? You know, if you have capacity to make your decision, then it, you get to choose what decision you want to make until such a time as you've been determined not to have that capacity. And so 
that ties in from my perspective, and I think this is this is going to be an interesting piece that's going to need to be flushed out in the operationalization of these standards, because these standards are accreditation, right? Accreditation happens every three to four years. Now, accreditation, they try to do pieces of it annually, but at the end of the day, it's a three to four year process. Um, it's how these get operationalized in our province that's going to become really interesting. And so if we were to come into a situation in the future where we had another uh, you know, significant pandemic uh, you know, outbreak and conversation and thoughts were happening around, do we do another lockdown, then do we actually do another you know, huge lockdown carte blanche like we did you know, in the last uh, COVID uh, or in the first piece of the COVID outbreak? Um, or do we consider, do seniors have an opportunity to make a decision inside of that and say, look, I'm prepared to see my loved one. Yes, I know it places me at risk, but I'm prepared because I'm dying or I'm so unwell or my mental health, the, the, you know, the impact of social isolation on me is so strong that it's more important to me to see my loved one. And I trust that my loved one is not making bad decisions in terms of their access and, and you know, in the community and that kind of thing. And I think that's going to become a really important conversation because not at all to make light of the deaths that happened in long-term care in, in this country. I mean, it's sad and it's significant. But the impact of the isolation for seniors is is very important as well. It's very important. And and uh, so I think that'll be a really good piece that is going to challenge the system go forward. Another area that is of interest in terms of fairly new is a real focus on healthy and competent workforce in the long-term care system. And I was very excited to see that. And one of the um, really interesting uh, quotes inside this system from uh, one of the experts who was involved in the development of these standards was, the conditions of work are the conditions of care. And that just sums up the whole story. You know, we have very caring people working, for the most part, in these facilities, but the conditions that they work in are equally important on their mental health too, not just the mental health and, and stress, et cetera, of the resident. And so there's some real clear guidelines in there around healthy workforces, competent workforces. And it does make reference, and this is new, to the fact that there's a recognition that 4.1 hours of direct care for a person is the best practice standard. Now, it doesn't require it, but it does make reference to it. So my hope is that we, we've known that for a long time. Everyone knows that that's been the case. The research says that's the best practice approach, but we've I'm not sure that we're able to achieve it. I'm going to say at all, but but even on a you know a fairly in irregular basis, I'm not sure we can achieve it with the current standards in terms of staffing that we have. And that's one of the reasons that I you know did call for the review of the long-term care and personal care home system. And I mean, it's part of a bigger issue, isn't it? Because we know, I mean, long-term care is health care, and uh, we all know some of the pressures that are being faced in the health care system right now. And the health care system, I suppose, is uh, front and center because it affects all of us, but we're seeing similar kinds of things across all um, sectors of society and industry and business and all of those kinds of things. There is a real labor crunch. Absolutely. Which is why my assumption is that they didn't 
actually write it in the guideline as a requirement. They they referenced it. I, I just, you know, even if it was a requirement, and I have every confidence that, you know, if we had the resources to do it, I, I truly believe the will is there to to get to that. But when you don't, when you know you don't have the staff to do it, then my hope and what I called for in 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 the review that you know I'm, I'm asking to be completed is that we work with what is the staffing ratio we need to get to that, and then what's our plan to get there. I'm not suggesting that can happen overnight, but we need it. We need to set the goal, or else we'll never set the plan. So how do you meet those standards? And I mean, this is a bigger question, and perhaps we should get the uh, health minister involved in it. But, uh, you know, is it just simply putting more money into it? I mean, how do you meet those standards if there are existing difficulties in the system? Well, and then, you know, I think that's the point. I think that's the whole point of doing the review. I think that um, it's so timely. Like, you know, I am I think the call for that review is timely with, with these standards. I think the fact that um, we know, um, so another meeting um, we had, the, the seniors advocates had, was with Minister Cara, who's the federal minister for seniors in the country. And one of the things she talked about is the fact that there's $3 billion on the table to support the implementation of these standards for provinces and territories. So, you know, money is not going to solve everything. I recognize that. There's, it's, it's a bigger picture. I mean, it's 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 about the structure. It's about, um, you know, how how we manage the the setup of the structure to reach that. So, you know, do do we put more seats in the LPN, the you know, the the PCA system? Do we ensure that you know we're encouraging people to go into those uh, professions? Um, uh, there's so many layers to this. So it's really about the, the review I've called for, developing, okay, well, what are all the components that will get us to what this system should look like? And now let's set the plan and start to work toward it. It's not an overnight answer. I, I truly understand that and recognize it. But if we don't set the plan, we're not going to get there. And it also is we had these um, high-level accreditation standards. So we know that there are operational standards for long-term care and personal care, but they need to be now reviewed against these um, accreditation standards and they, and then what the plan is go forward for the review and the outcome of what we want the system to look like, and then they need to get implemented and, and, uh, and supported. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about uh, the review itself when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is Seniors Advocate Susan Walsh. We'll be back right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is Seniors Advocate Susan Walsh. And you mentioned the review and uh, you reiterated uh, the Seniors Advocate's call, the, the first one being your predecessor back in 2019, for a review, a comprehensive one of uh, personal care and long-term care homes in the province. So where does it stand now? So I did write the minister and, of course, you know, put out a media release about this um, October 20th of 2022. I understand since then that the minister has made a commitment to review both the personal care home and long-term care home systems. I'm pleased with that. I subsequently uh, wrote the department um, just 
after Christmas, I think it was, or very early January, to say, could I get an update on where we are? And I have a meeting with the department next week to actually get that update. I've heard, um, unofficially, I suppose, that uh, you know there has been some action to move forward to develop an advisory panel, um, which I'm pleased about. Uh, but I have not heard uh, that officially, nor have I heard anything about membership, etc. So I'm looking forward to getting that update. How do um, long-term care and pers- personal care homes differ uh, for people who may not know? So the, so the long-term care homes uh, are part of really the the health system. Um, you know, they're they're uh, they're provided through uh, the regional health authorities uh, directly. We don't have private. Um, we may have one private uh, long-term care home in the province. The rest are all uh, you know run by government. Uh, you know, indirectly through the authority. Um, but the personal care home system is more. Um, of uh, an owner-operated type arrangement, and it certainly is um, for the level of care would be less. So it you know would not uh, have people with the same level of uh, nursing home, I'll say, uh, just because that's the term probably most understood uh, level care. I'm not saying they don't because I think they try to provide whatever service they possibly can and keep people uh, there, but um, at, the, at the end of the day, it's really not intended to be that same higher level of, of care that you would expect to see in a long-term care facility. Um, and, it, you know, more uh, pe- people on, on the lower end of, of uh, needing that kind of health uh, services. So a little bit more independent, you know, able to get up and and go out to the lunchroom and do all those things on your own, meet up with uh, friends within the within the system and all that kind of thing. That's exactly correct. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to a long-term care home, which was more of a medical setting, if you if you will. Really? Yes, that's exactly right. Right. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, the standards in those two types of scenarios would be very different, I would yes. think. Yeah, no, and, sh- and I, th- I believe you're right. I think there'll be some some similarities in terms of, uh, you know, the importance of staffing, the importance of the uh, you know, quality of the staffing, the the um, requirements around patient or resident care. So, like, the, the themes, many of the themes may be the same, but the requirements, as you said, could be and, and potentially should be really very different. Yes, which is why... I didn't want it just to be a review of one or the other because I see this whole thing as a continuum. I see, you know, the um, home supports to keep people well supported in their communities with access to their communities, you know, but able to remain in their own homes uh, in the community. It's, you know, one piece of this pie and, and an important, probably in some ways, the most important piece because it's it's really where most seniors want to stay. And, and you know, we, we uh, in, in the discussions I've had when I've been doing my consultations is we use the word transpire in your own home. And, you know, most seniors, that, that's the answer. That's exactly where they want to be uh, to the end. And uh, but they want it with quality as as they deserve. And so that's that's an, one piece. And then you see lots of times people move then into, you know, different settings if they have to move out of their own home, which would include the personal care home system would certainly be part of that. And then when they can no longer 
um, you know, be maintained in the personal care home system because their health needs, you know, their ambulation, some of these things, their acuity of care gets to a point that it, it really needs more of a nursing type, you know, more uh, uh, institutional health care. And I hate to use that word, but it, it, sometimes it draws the picture for people to understand. Then they move on to the long-term care. So it's a full continuum from my perspective. Right. And we've, uh, to now, our conversation is focused mainly on the personal care and long-term care settings, more institutional type care, if you will. Uh, But uh, when it comes to um, aging, uh, most people want to do it in their homes, as you rightly just pointed out. So where are we with home care and and the delivery of home care? Well, now, this is really interesting. So one of the meetings that um, uh, we had when uh, I was in Ottawa was with uh, Minister Cara, the Federal Minister for Seniors and Aging. And uh, it was a great opportunity for me to bring um, some of the things that I have been hearing from seniors and their interests, some of the, you know, uh, research that we know from a provincial perspective around the needs for seniors in this province. We have a unique perspective in this province because we have such an aging population. And and as a consequence, it, you know, it, it, it gives value. And I suppose I was pleased that there was a real interest to hear from me as the seniors advocate because we are leading the country in the issues related to seniors. And so from that perspective, um, the minister certainly shared with us that um, they are looking currently at an aging at home benefit. So they have tasked their council, which is the National Seniors Council, to really look at what could an aging at home benefit look like. And um, then I had the opportunity to meet with the chair of that council um, as well. And I, I'm really pleased to have had the opportunity, and she really did listen to some of the unique perspectives that I could bring to the table around the rural issues in this province. And so while that council is still, you know, I I wouldn't say early days, but they're certainly maybe halfway through their work, they've done a lot of... um, Research. They they are in the process of doing consultations, and I did ask, and and they certainly are committed to when they get their consultation information available. I will get access to that, and I'll get that out to the seniors in this province, so that and and service providers and family members, so they, they that they can have input into what this council is doing to make recommendations around what a national um, aging at home benefit could look like. Um, which will be really important, I think, for us as a province. But at the end of the day, I was able to share with her some of the things that are important around the rural nature of our province. So while, you know, it's it, it, one of the levers they can certainly use is looking at uh, a benefit that would go out to seniors or family caregivers, those kind of things, which is important and I think is valuable to consider. But they can also look at the infrastructure to support um, the needs of seniors to reside at home. And we had a really good dialogue, which was well informed through my consultations um, around, you know, those services that really are required um, to keep uh, people firstly safely at home, then well at home, and then well in the community. And so things like, um, yes, of course you need personal care, home services. That's what everyone would think about first. But and you know, but you also may need someone to come in and cook a meal. You might also need someone to clean your home. You might also need someone to fix your shingles. You might also need someone to shovel your driveway. So all those things, let's not limit it down to just thinking about home support in its traditional sense, which, you know, would be respite or personal care. In addition to that, 
don't make an assumption, you know, this is some of the messaging I provided, don't make an assumption that there's an agency out there to hire because there isn't. And if there is, many of them, what I'm hearing, are overwhelmed with the need and and struggling to get the staff to provide the service. So, and it may be easier, a little easier in larger centers, and I think the agencies are really doing a lot of work to try to recruit people, but I mean, as you said earlier, recruitment of staff everywhere is a challenge. So let's, we got to think outside the box in rural Newfoundland and Labrador because, you know, a senior living in a rural community, there might be five people needing this service and there might not be an agency to call upon. So how do we encourage other ways to um, get that help? And what, what I'm hearing currently is it's seniors, younger seniors who are helping the older seniors right now. The younger seniors are coming and shoveling the driveway if there's no family available. And, you know, we know lots of times families are, you know, working uh, shift work, they're out of province working. Sometimes they've moved to where the work is. So uh, that was one area that was really wonderful to be able to talk about. Uh, the other area that I shared with uh, the federal minister is that we know the 10% increase to the OAS for the um, old age security benefit for seniors 75 plus. Now, that was helpful. But we we certainly heard 65-plus would have been better. And so, yeah, I did share that uh, with her, and she did talk about the fact that they are reviewing the GIS, which, of course, the GIS goes to a smaller proportion of seniors than the OAS, but it is certainly targeted towards seniors who need it the most and that they're looking at that and, and the options there. And so, I, you know, I was pleased with that um, and encouraged, certainly, that. Um and, of course, the other piece that we already talked about, that we had a little conversation about the, the national long-term care standards and how provinces would be supported um, to implement these um, and operationalize them. And I make that distinction because implementing it from the accreditation perspective is different than really operationalizing them on the ground and that we've got to look at the infrastructure available to support that as you talked about, it's okay to say, you know, yeah, we should have 4.1 hours, you know, the national standard, but if you can't get the staff, you can't get the staff. So deal with the fact you can't get the staff. How are we going to get that? How are we going to resolve that? And that's where some of this, these federal resources could come in. I want to explore that whole idea of an aging at home benefit um, when we come back after the break, because I find that whole concept um, interesting in terms of the fact that so many seniors are living um, below the poverty line, if not, at, and, and some of them are at the poverty line, um, and why this isn't something that has been, con um, you know, conceived of prior to this instead of just uh, people finding it economically unfeasible to stay in their homes and have to move on to personal care or long-term care homes or whatever the case may be when we come back after the break our guest today on on target is seniors advocate susan walsh we'll be back right after this your vocm mornings with jerry lynn Mackey and ben murphy 5 30 to 9 a.m weekdays on your vocm and we're back our guest today on on target is the seniors advocate susan walsh and susan you were uh, mentioning you were speaking with the federal minister about this aging at home benefit and uh, again it's uh, somewhat surprising that we're in 2023 now and this is something that governments are contemplating when um, you, you know we've known about the demographics for ever so long now and seniors are a vital part of our uh, society is it because we tend to overlook seniors or that uh, their needs have always been sort of relegated to family members if you will 
a question. I, I guess from our province's perspective, you know, we know that most of many of the carers of seniors, when when they get to the point they need care, are their family members. So, um, and the provision of these services are a provincial responsibility. So, from a federal perspective, I imagine they struggled with how they put their foot in the water. You know, it's it's they they don't have a natural lever uh, for um, home support. Um, but I I hope that the answer is that the provinces may have been the ones who've put the push toward um, the federal government to think about how they might get supported in this because it's such an issue right across the country. But I, I truly don't know why why it's uh, we're here today in 2023 uh, finally looking at this, but I'm just glad we are. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I'm glad we are. I'm glad that they're um, really thinking about, uh, and I suppose, too, in our province, our perspective would be, wow, like they're only now thinking about it. But you have to remember – we're the province that's leading, unfortunately, in some ways, the country around an aging population. So maybe other provinces are catching up to where we are. And, you know, I, I read something recently that there's a, a piece of research around, you know, concern that the Canadian average around, the, you know, the age of the population could reach as high as uh, 40-something percent for, or nearly 50 percent, you know, in, in such and such a year. It was that kind of, and I thought, sure, we're already there as a province, you know, we're already there. 40, 47 percent is 50 plus. So, you know, our where we are is ahead of where I think some of the other provinces are, and so we are grappling with um, how we m- support seniors who who deserve to be supported. You know, when you think about uh, where we are as a province, is of credit to much of the work that seniors have done for many many years and raising their families and adding to the population, all those good things that people uh, have wanted, um, and taking care of you know being the care and being the volunteers. And so maybe we're just ahead of the game, and that's a good thing. Um, As it relates to this benefit, I think it's great that the federal government are looking at it. I think it's wonderful that they've assigned it to uh, the National Seniors Council for for, uh, research and recommendation because, you know, that is a uh, committee that is national in nature. It has, you know, numerous experts from across the country, and... um, they aren't um they're able to think outside the box as a consequence so it was wonderful for you know us as seniors advocates to be able to meet with the chair and provide some of our thoughts around um what the benefit could should look like the considerations that uh they should really be thinking about as they move forward and, and as i said i mean it was really important to me to bring that rural perspective um to to the discussion oftentimes i worry that uh, you know larger centers um, in the country, uh, not just larger provinces, but then larger centers like, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, you know, people always talk about the greater trans- Toronto area. And yes, of course, these all have struggles and demands, but providing a service in a rural area where the volume makes it challenging to warrant the d- development of a service, that's unique and that needs to be considered. And people will talk about the cost of living. And we had this t- debate, uh, you know, people will talk about the cost of living living in, you know, Victoria, for example, you know, British Columbia, and, you know, consequently, should should the benefits be higher there? But 
least we not forget is what I brought to the table that when a senior has to go to the corner store to get her groceries because she can't uh, afford or hasn't got the capacity transportation-wise or anything else, or the distance is so great to get to a supermarket that she's buying her groceries at a convenience store, the cost of living has, you know, we have to consider these things, right? Absolutely. And we've seen where the cost of everyday items has gone recently, not the least of which is heating your own home, those kinds of things as well. The price of internet and cable, which keeps people connected and uh, engaged also. And, and I think, you know, when those prices go up, that is a real disservice to seniors in particular. Mm-hmm. And how do we support seniors? We have the highest home ownership in this country, our province does, which is fabulous. But I mean, then heating those homes and lots of seniors, uh, you know, heat with oil because these are older homes and we know we know about the cost of oil you know so aging in place has to consider some of these things if if um if you're if the home you're in and there's little or no other option to move into a smaller home um is the home you are going to continue to live in then how are you going to what should an aging in place benefit look like to support that and so they, you know, that's some of the discussion. So you met with your federal and uh, provincial counterparts, um, and obviously you learned a lot there. But how do we compare uh, to um, the other two provinces and, and the federal when it uh, comes to uh, the services that we're able to provide, access to those services, uh, the standards that are in place? Uh, do you, are we doing well? Are we falling behind? Or are we about on par? Oh, my. That's such a difficult question uh, because it's not, we're, you know, we're better in some areas and not so much in others. And, and really, um, that is exactly, that question that you've just posed to me is exactly where I'm interested in heading from an office perspective. So I'm only in the job, as you know, since June. And I'm, you know, I've been very, I'm loving the job and I'm excited. I can't tell you, I'm, I'm always so excited to be getting out there and learning. And so I was so happy to get out and meet with seniors, hear from seniors, get the data in terms of, you know, what, what their experiences are, what their suggestions. And we're in the process of analyzing all of that and should uh, be able to uh, be in a position to have a report um, on the analysis of the data in the coming weeks. Then that's exactly the next step. Do we compare to the rest of the country? Like I, I know in some areas. So we had a good discussion about entry to long-term care, for example. So uh, British Columbia has very clearly identified that they have one of the higher rates of people entering long-term care who don't really need that level of care. And so what does that tell you? It could potentially tell you that um, there's nothing in between. The service does, you know, it's not high. It's not high enough. We know that uh, out in British Columbia, they pay some of the highest rates uh, for access to home support. Now, we in our province, we do pay a rate for access to home support. It's lower than British Columbia. It's higher than Nova Scotia, and PEI doesn't have one. So they're the kind of areas that I'm interested in getting, uh, you know, really focusing in on from an analysis perspective and getting that information out there so that everybody knows. It's public. It should be public information. And so then what does that mean around the policies and approaches that we should be taking as a province? So, we're, so the short answer to your question is we're better in some areas were worse than others. But what we really need and where I would like our office to be heading next is that analysis put very clearly so people can understand it and then we know where we need to focus. And the data exists.
And of course, we know this overlap between uh, long-term care and health care and what we've seen lately, uh, particularly in the last few years, um, quite glaringly in some cases, are backlogs in getting uh, patients into long-term care. And of course, that's causing backlogs then in the health care system because people are in beds in a hospital that where they should be in a long-term care facility, and then other people can't get in behind um, for other things, uh, you know, emergency-type situations uh, that, you know, they could get resolved and then go home again. Uh, so what? Um, where are we with that, and how do we address that? And, Linda, it's also gumming up um, the whole business of the opportunity for couples to be together because if you know if your lo- if your spouse is in um, long term care while you know while there is a policy that may enable you to uh, reside you know cohabit the priority is not potentially going to be on the spouse who doesn't need long term care even though we know they should be together my god but there's such a backlog of people who need long term care that you know they're never going it's never going to come to a priority for that for that spouse to move into that bed and so yes all of these areas are exactly where i'm excited to see the review of the long term care and personal care home system occur like i cannot wait to get the update on I've offered the department that, you know, I would be on an office of basically three people, including myself, and then a clerical person. So I'm, I'm, I've am I'm, offered that I would love for my office to be engaged in this review. I I think it'll be important, regardless if I'm engaged or not, I'll certainly be over, overseeing the outcome and, and looking for the report and doing my own analysis. But I am very interested in being engaged in that review. And I think the, then the answer to your question is, these pieces are all going to be analyzed through that process. What a tragedy when a couple is separated in that way. I I mean, it is. It's wrong. It's wrong for the families. It's wrong for the individuals. You live your entire life and then the, you know, your, your support person is, is separated from you. It's like suffering, I guess, a, a death. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the impact that places on the family, then they're trying their best to get the spouse, who is also senior and may have issues, just not at that same level, back and forth to see their loved one. And least we not forget, that could be in a whole different community, miles and miles and miles away. So their level of access is limited, and the impact it's putting on families to try to, you know, keep that access as much as they can. It's 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 just. While they're also pro- probably providing some care to the to the loved one who's not in long-term care, the system currently is is, and this is why I think we are in better shape than some other provinces. And I know I use that term very uh, lightly, is because of the impact of what of the care that the loved ones are providing in this province. We are only lucky that, uh, you know, we have such a sense of community and family that doesn't always exist in some larger, you know, provinces where, you know, there's, it, 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 you know, the, the family has moved to other provinces, to other areas, those kind of things. We're very lucky that, uh, you know, when you have loved ones around. For sure. Very important issues facing uh, half of our population. Um, Susan Walsh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I know you're just off the plane, so I <laughs> really am, appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Could I, could I just say one quick thing? Yeah. I want to thank you because this, I always, I'm so interested in getting 
the message out to seniors about what we're doing because that gives them the opportunity to give me feedback to inform the work I'm doing. So it's these platforms that are really important to me. So thank you for reaching out and giving me this opportunity today. And I'll be looking forward to hearing what uh, you learned from that survey. 100 responses. That's fabulous. Uh, thank you very much. Thousand. Wow. I said 100. I meant 1,000. I was looking at the three zeros there. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, that's me. I turned myself off. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back on Monday. We're going to be speaking with the mayor of Grand Falls, Windsor. Uh, Take it easy out there. uh, Bundle up, hunker down, all those good things, and have a great weekend.